Crawlers. We would be honored if you would join us. Hello and welcome everybody back to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio where we have returned Sans Daniel who is having a lovely week off while we talk all sorts of nonsense in his absence. Uh, I am Krebs and I am joined tonight by my brother Matai. Hello, I am the other Krebs and with us as always is the lovely Willow. That's me. Not an actual Willow. No, actually, she is. She is an actual Wither. She she is. She's not a Heather. She's not a Heather. I'm actually Willow. That's actually who I am. That that is her her legal name. Good day. Um, Those of you who heard the episode where where I got to meet Willow for the first time will know that for that entire episode, I kept calling her by different female character names from the movie Willow for the entire episode, after Alton had mistakenly called her Heather for no discernible reason. (laughs) We love you, Alton. We miss you. It's funny. It is funny. Anywho, uh, we we took some time to consider this evening's topic. And uh, as part of that process, we just got to conversing with one another, ended up discovering some things we didn't know about certain elements of nerd and geek culture history. And it got us considering the kinds of things that we like, but that might be so obtuse or obscure by today's standards, that it would be very difficult to find another individual who shares this same nerdtastic uh, item of interest, right? So uh, we started talking about the ideas of nerdity of obscurity, something that you really like that has fallen out of the limelight of the current zeitgeist. And then Matthew came up with this great definition, like how do you know if the nerdity, the thing that you like, is actually obscure or fits into this category. So like, imagine that you're at a party with a bunch of uh, strangers, regular people, normies, and uh, something you want to go up to them and you want to break the ice. This is not something you would use to break the ice. That's right? right. If that's, if that's the case, something that you're passionate about, but you wouldn't use as an icebreaker, it's probably a nerdity. Absolutely. And so I want us to focus tonight on revealing some of these nerdities of obscurity. In fact, actually, one of the things that kind of came to mind way back in the day, I was at what was then, um, it was, uh, it used to be software, etc. And then it used to be electronics boutique. And then eventually, all of that coalesced into what is now GameStop. And GameStop, uh, I went to, I went to that particular location in my mall and I was going through the video game section of, you know, and at this time it was PS2 and I came across this game. It was a, it was a very interesting moment. I came across this game called obscure. It's a horror survival game called obscure. And I remember pulling it off the shelf and I looked at it. And I was like, obscure. Huh? I don't think I've heard of that. And like, it, it kind of dawned on me the irony of that moment. Um, even oh, that's even so weird that I've never heard of this before. It was kind of hilarious. And I want to focus on the, on the, the nerdisms, the nerdities that we still love, the fandoms that we have, but that are either no longer relevant or have fallen out of the limelight and people just don't know about it anymore. So let's, let's pick up the conversation. Matthew... What is one nerdity of obscurity 
that you want to share with the great crawlers of the world in hopes of maybe sparking a new interest? All right. Uh, this one is not totally obscure in uh, in Nerdland. Uh, and there's probably a lot of people who remember this. Hopefully they remember it as fondly as I do. But Babylon 5. Michael Straczynski's five-year master-planned series with some of the best writing in science fiction. Uh, the, the effects were pretty groundbreaking for the day. They don't hold up, but they're not too terrible now. But mainly you watch it for the characters and the storylines. And you have characters that actually change. They really change. They're affected by their story arcs. And... Uh, and the way that this stuff all fits together and stuff that happens in the fifth season was foreshadowed in the first season. Uh, you find out why Babylon is five and what happened to one, two, three, and four. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> it's it's all tied together. And I am so excited that Straczynski is working on a reboot of the series or a reimagining of the series. So it'll be a new story. I'm looking for it to have the same quality, but I would not walk up to people and say, Hey, what was your favorite episode of Babylon five? <laughs> <laughs> uh, excellent. That's, that's a great opener. Uh, Willow, what is a nerdity of obscurity that you love? <clears throat> Alrighty. You guys ready? This is the big one. Mm -hmm. Rotoscoping. Rotoscoping. Ooh. Are you talking about the special, the the, the pseudo practical effect in filmmaking? Yes, I am. Okay, okay so this is that. not something that I would like at a nerd party be like, "Hey guys, remember rotoscoping and how awesome it is?" <laughs> but I would absolutely believe it and think it because I do. So, like, do you remember the old Lord of the Rings cartoon? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, yes. So that was, was a special type of animation style. It's called rotoscoping. Basically, the concept is that you take, you actually film a scene, mm -hmm. and then you draw the scene on top of the actual film, so that you end up with an animation of an actual physical human being doing a thing. Which is why um, Bilbo Baggins, uh, or um, yeah, not Bilbo no. Baggins, uh, yeah, uh, Golem. Frodo. Why Frodo was so weird where he like would do these little dancey things or like kick up his feet and it would be a little weird. You're like, that's kind of a weird thing that's happening right now. It's because of rotoscoping because it's so crazy. But I love it. I think it's great. And I actually think that it's like one of the coolest kinds of um, animation ever. Yes. And of course, uh, there's like a bunch of really awesome films that were made with it. One of them was He-Man. The old filmation oh. He-Man series. Oh. There were a few oh, yeah, scenes right. where they rotoscoped, and then they used those scenes over and over. Yeah. Yes, that's what made so, it an affordable, cheap animation, right? Right, right. So it's and yeah, it's a very realistic human movement, but it looks weird because it doesn't fit animation. Mm -hmm. and, and one people, one person described it as it gives your characters gravity. They have weight mm -hmm. that you can't capture in a drawing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you also I, I, one of the one of the drawbacks of rotoscope animation is that you also more uh, closely approach the uncanny valley. Yes, uh, because like you said, it doesn't fit animation. It, it, it doesn't have like the certain cartoonish fluidity or it doesn't you, you don't necessarily get all it, it, it approaches a certain level of believability and lifelikeness without actually achieving it that mm -hmm. it starts 
falling into that uncanny valley of creepiness or yeah. you or, or your brain says there's something wrong with this. Uh, one of the films made with rotoscope animation is called Wizards from 1977. Is that uh, a Ralph Bakshi thing? Uh, you might be right about that. I'm going to verify that really quick. I just remember seeing that at the, the video store. Yes. Back yes. In it the was 80s. Ralph Bakshi. Yeah. Uh, it was this weird guy riding a two-legged Yes. Beast. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it I is, remember it seeing is, the cover for that. It's like a it's like a poor man's Boba Fett on on an alien ostrich thing. In fact, the that kind of creature character um complementary like design uh appears again in a in a different form in Labyrinth with like the little riders who have the little pincher guys on the end of the lance. Uh, that was heavily inspired by wizards. But anyway, um, yes, that was a rotoscoped film and it has an animated sequence where it shows like Blitzkriegers from world war either one or two um, because they had like gas masks and stuff. And uh, but like that was, that was real footage that they animated over the top of. Uh, that's really creepy yeah, the right. the ones that i re the ones that i remember the ones i love of course i love the original um hobbit and lord of the rings which yes, is yes. where i saw it when i was young um cool world is a really um cool world like oh, yeah cool world was rotoscope that was a more recent um, one brad pitt kim yeah basinger yeah kim basinger yeah and so her character is rotoscoped but i think the other animated characters are not and um and then my favorite which like no one has seen. Well, there's actually two. One of them is called mm. Rock and Rule. It's from 1979. Ooh. And then um, the other one is called American Pop. And um, Rock and Rule is rated PG. American Pop's rated R. But they're both amazing. And American Pop is wonderful because I love music. And um, and it really is like the story of it's the story of rock. And it's amazing. It's all rotoscoped and it is so cool. So if you want to like dig, like dig deep into the nerd and find a movie that you can like only find on Amazon by purchasing it, <laughs> but you can't rent it. You have to buy it from somewhere to see it. But that movie is so rad. I don't know what you're talking about. I was able to rent Wizards from Blockbuster. You guys can't do that? Oh, well. Anyway, <laughs> uh, the last thing I'll say about rotoscoping is that's how they did lightsaber animation in the original Star Wars films oh. was using rotoscope. Yeah, uh, that that was the first time I found out about rotoscoping. So, yeah, that wow. was that's a really good one, Willow. Thank you. That generated some it great It sounds like in this group, you can break the ice with rotoscoping anytime, Willow. We'll <laughs> gladly talk about it with you. Uh, I am going to pick up on that thread a little bit for for my first nerdity of obscurity, uh, and I think people will recognize this name, but it definitely is uh, – this person has not played a role in modern cinema for like two decades now, and that would be Don Bluth Animation. Ooh. Don Bluth, yeah. Don Bluth is the um, creative – genius behind uh the art used for things like dragon's lair the arcade game space ace the arcade game the secret of nim the movie anastasia also a movie and the awesome. most recent thing that i remember him doing that i really love and this one has this one kind of falls into nerdity of obscurity is a uh, titan ae titan <gasps> after earth i love that movie i love that i, I love it because Kreb showed it to me and we would watch it together as a. Uh, as yeah. teenagers and young adult and oh man you could put that on and you, you didn't need a reason to put that on at our yeah, house it's a great movie yeah titan ae it came out when i was in my very early 20s 
so uh, and, and you and I earlier. were no, 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 no. This came out like in like uh, two thousand, two thousand one. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, I just my memory. <laughs> yeah, I totally. We were understand. such kids then. Well, we felt like teenagers, right? <laughs> um, it had it had a banging soundtrack for its day, and uh, Titan AE is one of those movies. It came out. I want to say it came out after Treasure Planet. I think is how it went down. I I, I looked this up recently, and I was oh, it came shocked. out before. I I can't. I guarantee it came out before. Oh, you know what? I think you're right. So Titan A Titan AE came out in the year 2000. Um, we had just we had just defeated our terror of Y2K, and um, this movie came out, and it was Don Bluth's hand animation combined with CG elements. And what was very interesting was that the hand animated parts, which definitely have a rotoscope feel to them at points, um, are uh, they, it contains with it all the flaws that hand animation produces, where you have perspective shift, but it's not quite as fluid as it would be in the real world. And then you combine that with CG elements, which are being rendered at a much higher frame rate. And so you end up with like this really weird mixture. It works well in the sense that like the aliens are CG. And so when the aliens come in, they move a different way. They look a different, you know, they have a different texture to them. That kind of makes sense. But then like the spaceships that they fly are also CG. And the elements in space, like the ice asteroids, which were super dope, those are also CG. And so it kind of, you, you end up with like this mix of organic and synthetic that doesn't quite jive with your brain. But I got to tell you, I love that movie. I think the story is great. The acting was pretty, was pretty uh, anywhere between acceptable and, and fantastic. And I would recommend anyone check out Titan AE. By the way, Treasure Planet came out in 2002. So you're absolutely right. Wow. Yeah, I honestly, I loved, um, I love that. That was actually the first time that I, um, that I saw John Leguizamo as a voice actor. I love um, him. He, he's fantastic. That's another one of those obscure guys who yes. seemed to kind of, what I love, what I love about that is because not only did he, was he, he was a huge, he was so big. Um, as, like, you know, you know, he did Romeo and Juliet and then that was massive. Mm -hmm. yes. And, um, and then he did, he kind of killed his own career with the Mario movie. Right. Oh, so he killed it with the pest. Oh, maybe like those. I think those, so because Mario movies... was before Romeo and Juliet. Uh, was it? Oh yeah. my gosh! That and then and then the pest movie. was after. Well, okay. yeah, the pest was after, and the pest was. Yeah, moved. yeah, yeah. You're right. Okay, so then he kind of then he kind of kills it, and then um then he kind of floats around for a little while. But he did Titan A.E. He he was the mm -hmm. the weird guy in Titan A.E. and that's where he did his first voice work, and then um and then he just kind of dropped off the planet. And it's so funny because I think that it's great that Disney recognized that he kind of dropped off the planet and then hired him to be cousin. What's his uncle? His uncle Bruno. Uncle Bruno, right? You like can't Bruno. Talk about him. Yeah, but it's so funny because he really did like <clears throat> drop off the face of the planet. So bringing him back in that role was perfect because he's a great voice actor, and also he kind of dropped off the face of the planet. And uh, so I just love, I just yeah. love that they did that. Yeah. He, he's he really he's a solid an, actor. He's an amazing actor. He's, got he's one of my favorite range. actors. You can see him being super serious. He was a doctor on ER 
for I think at least one season. Mm. Uh, and so he can be dramatic. He can be serious. His part in Romeo and Juliet was amazing. Mm-hmm. And he can also be very funny. Uh, he's got a number of different characters he can just slip into. And like you said, different voices. I like him. I got a question for you guys. What's slippery and about a foot long? Uh, what is a, a slipper? It's a slipper. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, way to throw that in there all of a sudden. Way to catch us off guard. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I dig it. I dig it. So, uh, so. Matthew, let's uh, let's go a little bit further. Let's go. Let, let's dig into like our our teenage years or even our childhood. Let's go back a little bit. Let, let's go back further. Uh, what is something that you loved in your youth, and maybe it was even popular when you were young, and uh, but now is either completely unheard of or is extremely rare to find another fan. Well, um, back in high school. One of my things was uh, the Dr. Demento show. Oh, it would. I love Dr. Demento. Yes, it would come on at 10 o'clock, 10 p.m. at night. And I would record it on my on cassette off the radio and then yep. listen to it the next day. And, uh, and the thing is that all my my other school classmates who were way too popular to listen to Dr. D- to Dr. D would uh, still come up to me and go, Hey, did you catch that song last night? Can I get a copy of it? Did you?" Rec-? And they, they always knew that I had it, that I'd recorded it. And I would make mixtapes of my favorite uh, novelty songs that, that came on there. Um, Dr. Demento. I, I mean, hopefully you guys recognize the name, but if any of our listeners do not know, uh, he ran a radio program, a syndicated radio program where he would play novelty music, parodies, comedy songs. Uh, sometimes he would do little uh, snippets of comedy, uh, stand-up, stand-up comedy. But he also was the one who discovered Weird Al Yankovic and gave mm-hmm. him his his break on the radio. And that's one bit of the new weird biopic uh, that has a grain of truth to it, uh, is that Dr. Demento was instrumental in getting uh, Weird Al's career off the ground. Uh, but there were a number of different songs they had on there, and Krebs will probably remember some of these. Oh my there gosh. Were, now that we've had, you know, snow, it's been snowing today in uh, in Utah. <laughs> one of one of the songs was, uh, I, Krypton had a number of different songs, but one of them was Let's Blow Up the Tow Trucks. Uh-oh, I forgot about Let's Blow Up the Tow Trucks. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, we had that. We had Dead Puppies Aren't Much Fun. Yep, that's a classic. Uh, we had the, uh, masochism tango. Oh, that's uh, a good one. Take your cigarette from its holder and burn your initials in my shoulder. You know, <laughs> uh, the masochism tango was 50 shades of comedy. It, it really, it really <laughs> was. And then you had the wonderful sketch comedy. Oh, there were oh, so I many things the by the frantics. Mm-hmm. Uh, we loved that, uh, Krebs and our sister, and, uh, we would all reenact, uh, a lot of those things. Uh, there was stuff like nifty brand body bags, which we actually did on stage at like yes. a church talent show. A in church our talent show. <laughs> it was not I popular was the corpse. among, <laughs> among <laughs> the geriatric crowd. They did not appreciate it as much. It rain, wind, or snow. It's nifty brand body bags when it's when time, it's time to, to go. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I I actually very unabashedly. Uh, will make references to boot to the head. Um, yes. 
I, one of my favorite, like I will, I, I'll be coding with like a, a, a teammate or with a group and there'll be moments of like copy pasta where it's like, let's copy these things down. Then we'll alter them and I'll be copying them. And as I get toward the end, I'll go and another for Jenny and the wimp. And I will, <laughs> I will do that. And, and no one knows what I'm talking about, but that's, I love that. I, I, I love that. It's a joke for me. Um, if, uh, boot to the head, uh, last will and what was it? Last, last will and temperament. Yeah, last will and temperament. That's by the Frantics, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is. Yes. Um, and so you guys can find this on YouTube, by the way. This still exists. And then also, uh, as a teacher, I loved listening to the sketch comedy uh, routine of Fatal Beatings, starring, <laughs> I didn't know this when I was young, but it starred Rowan Atkinson, who would later yes. become oh, Mr. Bean. Oh. Mm hmm. That's awesome. That's also on YouTube. Check it out. Some of the other things that were on there, um, they're coming to take me away. Ha ha. They're coming <laughs> to take me away. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> to the funny yes. farm where life is beautiful all the time. I could do that entire song and I usually could do most of it in a breath. Uh, there was... Um, yeah. The Existential Blues from Tom T-Bone Stankus. That's where, if you've ever heard the line, I'd rather have this bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy. Julie Brown, she was kind of popular oh. in the 80s. Not downtown Julie Brown. Not downtown the, the Julie British, Brown. Uh, the British, the, the British. Like, like the, the comedic version of Cyndi Lauper, Julie yes, Brown. Yes, yes, that's, that's who she was. Uh, there was Shaving Cream. Uh, yes. Stepped in a yes. big old steaming pile of shaving, of shaving cream. cream. Be yes. nice and clean. Yes. yes. Uh, and uh, Squirrels by the Beastly Boys, a parody of Girls. By the Beastie Boys. <laughs> um, Star Trekking. Across the uh, universe. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, they had, oh man, there were just so, there were millions, there were, there, there like were lots, thousands, lots and lots and lots. And we, and because Matai would record this on audio cassette and because that was one of two modes of listening to things in the car, since we were post eight track by that point, uh, we had two options, listen to what was on the radio or play one of Matthew's Dr. Demento tapes. And we often chose the latter and it was fantastic. Also, it should be pointed out that Matthew and I growing up had a very particular set of friends and <laughs> that it was a very, it was a very sparse elite, let's say elite population. Uh, we were not popular anyway. So <laughs> I would, uh, no, Dr. Demento is one of my all time. Like that's my, that's one of my favorite memories from childhood. Good call. Matai. Well done. Uh, Willow. Willow, going back to oh teenage gosh, years so or before. I so what? many. Yes, I know. Oh Give us God. one from your youth. Give us one from your youth. Um. Okay. But you guys already know. Uh, I am a huge Alf fan. Yes. Like, I love Alf. I think Alf is awesome. And um, I don't know that it's, I don't know that it's deeply obscure enough. Well, but, but I do it, love it. I, I absolutely guarantee you that there is some percentage of our audience who honestly does not know either what ALF is at all or much about ALF. So you should explain what ALF is. Okay. So ALF is, um, ALF is an alien that lands in the suburbs in like, I don't know, Michigan or something. Um, and and, and ALF is an acronym too. Oh yeah. It's alien life form. Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, and he lands uh, in this scientist's backyard and the scientist is super excited. And then uh, they have to keep Alpha secret. And eventually the family, because the guy has a family, the family finds out that Alpha exists um, and he lives with them and he becomes kind of like their guy. But Alpha is funny. He's hilarious. He's like a grown human man inside of a two foot fluffy animal <laughs> puppet and uh he is hilarious he like a very, very kind of like howard the duck like th th there's some there's some similarities there like a little bit of like kind of uh like a little bit edgy humor Alf eats cats uh he's not like the nicest but he has he's a girlfriend named Rhonda, and they play the beach boys oh. song to try and call her to earth that's right i forgot I forgot. I remember. About I remember the Rhonda. Like, so I didn't find out the Rhonda thing until they made Alf into a um uh until they made it into a cartoon later, mm -hmm. um and then they like the cartoon takes place on Alf's planet, Melmac. Melmac. That's, that's right. right. <laughs> so it takes place wow. on Alf's planet, which is so. Which is it's actually really fun. I really liked it. But Alf was such a big deal. For yes. a generation of people, and that generation of people was me. Uh, yes, uh, there's so much to say about Alf. Uh, oh, was... Alf was in Alf was in love with his host mom. So the guy who who like yeah, so he has this massive thing for the the mom in this in this family. Like he's always trying, like he's always hitting on her, like trying to get her to leave her husband. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like one of these funny shows that was like for kids because it's a puppet and also kind of for adults because it's a little tiny bit spicy. So yeah. it's funny. I'm always surprised by like what what media creators got away with in the 80s in terms of like comedy or even just like visual imagery. I I still have not shown the original Ghostbusters to my kids who recently saw Ghostbusters oh, Afterlife, right? My God. Uh because oh, of the one the th there's one uh, actually I guess two scenes, but the one scene where Dan Aykroyd's character Ray Stance um like uh, th there's this pretty apparition who goes invisible and then all of a sudden oh, his pants are undone yeah. and then yeah, like I don't want to have to explain the comedy of that moment to my kids. And I also don't want to have to explain, you know, what's going on with Rick Moranis and, and, uh, oh, oh, Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver. Thank you. I kept going to Dana. I kept thinking The gatekeeper. Yeah. I don't want to have to explain. I realize they touch on that in Afterlife. They do it in a way that's fairly acceptable. But the 80s, the 80s were. That, that that was a different time. Uh, I often turn to my wife, we'll talk about some movie, and I'll be like, my mom took us to see that when I was a kid. And <laughs> Ghostbusters was one of those movies. Went and saw that when we were kids. Went and saw Gremlins when we were kids. Went and saw Beetlejuice when we were kids. You know, stuff like that. Anyway, uh, that's another discussion for another time. Maybe when we have another episode of why, how did movies mess me up this bad? Right, <laughs> right. Like we need to have that episode. We need to have just, just on the on the heels of the poltergeist conversation from previously. Yeah. Um, Alf, I, I yeah, you're right. Alf, I, his voice and his comedy reminded me of a more family friendly version of Rodney Dangerfield. 
Yeah. Like he had um, he had that like he had the timber, he had the cadence, but I actually I thought Alf was funnier than Rodney Dangerfield personally. It says that um the series creator was Paul Fusco and he so he created it, he was the voice and he was the puppet operator. Mm-hmm. Um and it looks like I don't know, I think he may have been the only voice. But they had a different guy for the cartoon, I think. Maybe, yeah. But uh, yeah, the TV show was Paul Fusco because he 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 created it. Uh, yeah. The the daughter on that show, um, the actress who played the older daughter, and I'll, I'll have to say that I kind of had a little bit of a TV crush on her. I mean, um, she's no Alyssa Milano, but go on. <laughs> also had a crush on her. Uh, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, the actress who played that also was the token girl in the TV show Whiz Kids. Oh, and I I love that because it was about a computer nerd who was, you know, was getting crushed on by this cute girl at school. And then she went on to become the daughter in, in Alf. Uh, but that's what that's where I recognize that from. And I was always just kind of watching her on the on the mm-hmm. show. Well, I just learned that Paul Fusco, he voiced Alf for everything. The oh, movies, wow. the TV the shows, the animated series. He that he was the AT&T version of ALF. I guess ALF did some <laughs> commercials. Oh, there was an ALF dial-up line, one of those 967, 976 numbers. Oh, that's oh, awesome. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome, dude. As far as, like, my childhood nerdity of obscurity, um, I've been kind of debating back and forth on this one because I know that we've talked about some of this stuff on the show previously. Um, and, I, and I'm trying to pick, like, I'm trying to pick one that I think is, like, is, like, uh, I, one that would be interesting to look into today as well, but um, I think I'm just gonna land like double feet. So I loved. I think all of us growing up loved Saturday morning cartoons. We even had a whole episode oh, yeah. on Saturday morning cartoons, right? Uh, but there were also many of those types of cartoons, either in reruns or they just got moved to a terrible time slot early in the morning on weekdays before school. So you had. Saturday, basically any time slot that kids would be active and awake, but not at school, they tried to jam cartoons into these slots because that's how you sold toys, right? Like it was, it was all a grand marketing scheme and things like that. Right. Uh, and everything had to transform. Everything had to transform. After Transformers, everything had to transform. After Transformers, it was GoBots. You had He-Man characters that quote-unquote transformed aka fold and unfold um rock lords rock lords were the worst transformers but i couldn't deny that i still owned at least one because i love the color blue but anyway uh i i will tell you nerdity of obscurity gem and the holograms wow i thought you were gonna go for mask uh, mask crossed my mind. Mask crossed my mind. Uh, Beverly Hills Teens crossed my mind. That's one that nobody knows about today, and it's probably not worth looking into anymore. What about what about gnomes? Do you remember gnomes? Uh, I remember seeing a little bit of gnomes, like David the Gnome, on yeah. Nickelodeon when, yes. when Nickelodeon David the thing. Gnome. Right? Yeah, that David was, okay. the Gnome. Uh, but we uh, we didn't – I don't remember having that like on TV on the regular. It was almost like a holiday special when I would catch it because it was on so rarely uh, when I could catch it. But but Gem and the Holograms is one of the cheesiest uh, – <laughs> I, I want to say it was, I want to say it was, it wasn't quite anime, but it was definitely, it felt like it was animated in like a 
like like originally in a foreign way and then brought to the states, but I could be wrong about that. Um, it was. It, it may have been done by Sunbow, which was a company who did a lot of Japanese-style animation yeah. for American audiences. They were behind G.I. Joe, Transformers, and they may have... I'll have to look that up. They may have done that, too, but it's that, yeah. that animation style. I, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, you know what I'm... Yeah, so it's, it's definitely Japanese-influenced at the very least. Possibly Korean, I'm not sure, but... Uh, but it was a very distinct animation type, and it was basically no joke. It was basically an animated soap opera for kids. Uh, I, in recent year, recent being like in the last ten years, uh, I showed my wife Gem and the Holograms. I often tease my wife. I joke with her that she didn't she didn't really have a childhood, and it had to do with like the strict rules in her home growing up. But like because they weren't allowed to watch a lot of cartoons or TV in general, and they didn't have video games, etc. And it ends up that she's actually a closet nerd, yada yada. But uh, I showed her Gem and the Holograms. I showed her every single episode that is <laughs> available on Netflix and things like that. Uh, there, And then we came up uh, as an adult, as a kid, we watched this because the music was absolutely banging. And you had Gem and the Holograms versus the Misfits. The Misfits. Not to be confused with the actual band, the Misfits, but pretty close. They were both punk bands. And in the 80s, being punk was not just alt, but it was also what made you a criminal. And Not you know, to be confused the, with Misfits of Science, which was also an awesome TV show. Which was also an awesome TV show. Uh, and... And it was it was all about this gal who was a waitress and her father was a brilliant inventor, but he dies. And then as she like takes over his estate, uh, she ends up going through a wall that's actually a hologram that looks solid because he's like this great inventor that made holograms that are way cooler in the 80s than they could possibly have been. And then she finds this computer called Synergy who can project holograms everywhere using earrings and and she goes from a waitress during the daytime to absolute world famous rock star gem uh at night and and then they use holograms for like costume and there, there's basically like a lot of deus ex machina so, magic so it's basically this. an 80s version of hannah montana That's it really saying. yes yes <laughs> hannah montana happened and it's like guys we've seen this um but you know, no different than uh, than the Patty Duke show and the Prince and the Popper, right? Like we we've seen this, but anyway, so Gem and the Holograms. Uh, as an adult watching this, we found that you know you you've got these voice actors, you've got they're they're doing the story, but they also have to do like verbal, like um they they have to make certain non-word sounds, right? Like they, they have to be, oh, and they're surprised. Oh, they fall down the hill or whatever, right? They, okay, there are, there's one episode in particular that my wife and I were inspired to coin the term gemuendo uh, because there's one episode where if you, if you just, if you close your eyes and you listen to a particular segment of that episode without looking at the context, everything they say and everything they do is horrifyingly <laughs> not for a cartoon <laughs> at all. And we thought that was hilarious. We actually started that looking is for hilarious. We looked for every gem you window we could after that. It was it was absolutely worth it. So Gem and the Holograms, uh, for all the weird things you did to my brain as a kid, uh, I absolutely adore you. And if you guys have not actually checked it up, uh, do not check out the live action movie that came out about five, six years Garbage. ago. Uh, it was so bad that they literally yanked it out of theaters after like a week of being in theaters. Don't don't see that. But the actual cartoon from the 80s, watch every episode. It's excellent. That's good. Now I'm going to have to go watch it again. And I, I don't want to leave 
uh, Krebs out in the cold. This came out in the morning before we would go to school. And, you know, we acted. It was a, it was a girl show. It was a total girl show. There was there was yeah. pink everywhere in, in the eighties. So, in the eighties, there were boy things and there were girl things. Yes. There were boy toys and girl toys and all that yeah. stuff. And so our sister liked it, and we would be like, "Well, you know, she's going to put it on." But secretly, Josh and I still wouldn't leave the room until it was a commercial break. Uh, and I don't know about I don't know about you, Krebs, but um, you know, it's just the idea of these hologram earrings that could project anything that I thought was kind of cool. And yeah, I did the music. I know was was kind of dumb, poppy, bubblegum stuff, but. You're right. I I did kind of like it. It's got a beat, and you can dance to it. <laughs> uh, it was they, they had like they were like micro tunes, you know, like like the movie Demolition Man with uh, Sylvester Stallone and Sandra yeah. Bullock. They talk about uh, micro tunes, and it ends up it's like commercial jingles. But like Gem and the Holograms had legit micro tunes because every song was between sixty and ninety seconds. Oh, and, that's awesome. Or, or there would be a thirty second version of the song, a sixty second version of the song, ninety second version of the song, depending on the scene that they needed it for, you know. And mm-hmm. what was funny is that this is the age of MTV. So when the song would yes. come on, there'd be this little box in the corner that would introduce the song just like MTV. Uh, this is the artist. This is the title. Awesome. This yeah. is the album or the label it would, or something. It would have Gem and the Holograms or the Misfits. Or if they had like a special like one-off guest artist, then uh-huh. you'd have that person in the title of the song <laughs> and then like the label it came from. And, uh, and I kind and- of remember that. I like I, I kind of remember that. It was just, that was a long time ago. Well, and the reason I started off with the conversation of everything had to transform was because when they produced Gem, Gem and the Hologram Toys, all of the main characters, they, they were, they were it was like Barbies, but also kind of Transformers in the sense that like the the dolls were designed in such a way that you could put one outfit on and it would make them look like their daytime persona and then you oh. could like pull the hat off and then the hair comes down with all the multicolor strands and and then you could like change the clothes and they would have like hot water cold water makeup effects so if you put like mm, yeah, hot that. water across the eyes and the eyeshadow changes and things like that and i know all this because my sister and my cousin who lived next door had them and i played with them incessantly because transforming <laughs> transforming toys were the bomb back in yeah. the 80s. They, they, they were absolutely rad. Yeah, uh, that's so, yeah. still true. Um, just really quick, I know we're running out of time, but I, I got I got a question popped into my head. What is the oldest fandom, nerdity of obscurity, whatever? What is, like, if, if, the, the thing that you like that goes the farthest back in history for you, like it doesn't have to even be in your lifetime, but it's something that you know about that you are super a fan of, that you're super into. What's the um, oldest thing? There, oh my gosh, there's so many to choose from. Um, I was either gonna go with the monkeys mm-hmm. or the Ultima series of video games. Oh, great choices! And I, I really, I think I might go with Ultima because. It was uh, Richard Garriott, his online alias was Lord British, and he made these really uh, innovative video games for the time. And interestingly, the first few of them were dungeon crawlers. Yes, they were. <laughs> it was, And it was awesome. It was great. But I remember one of them was a time traveling thing. In order to solve the game, you had to travel between different times and the map changed at, depending on what time 
era you were in and the um, and the kind of weapons that you had changed i mean you could get a laser ray or something which was necessary to defeat a certain monster in the past but what was interesting about this is that the but ultima 3 came out and it was really popular but it also hit at the same time as the satanic panic uh that really was putting a bad shadow over dungeons and dragons type of games so then he came up with the idea for ultima 4 quest of the avatar and the idea of this dungeon crawler role-playing game was there were eight virtues and you had to become um, a paragon of each of these eight virtues before you could face the great evil which bore a striking resemblance to satan and (laughs) you had to be this pure uh, person with humility and valor and honor and justice uh, all these different uh, wisdom all these different attributes uh and when you were sufficiently pure and holy and great then you could go face down and defeat the devil in his lair and so that was his response to to all of that was well we'll make an rpg about being a good guy let's see them argue against that and and and, uh it was it was a really engaging game and nothing like that had ever been done before I loved those games uh, so much so that when I found an emulator a few years ago, I put it on my PC and I started at the beginning to mm-hmm. go through and solve the game again. Yep. I remember that's actually that game was how I learned the word avatar because you had to explain it to me. Uh, and uh, my brother and I growing up, like we, we grew up in a household that really valued um, intellect as well as like work ethic and things like that. Like, and Matthew has always been like severely brilliant and being his youngest sibling at that time, before we became a blended family, I would often ask him to teach me something that he knew that I did not. (laughs) And, um, and so we weren't afraid to do that in our family. Uh, He started talking about like, I'm trying to become the avatar. And this was before it was earth, fire, water, there. you know this and it didn't mean that, that i have blue skin it did not mean that that was what smurfs were for um it, yeah that's how i learned the word avatar uh, matthew taught me that via ultima uh what about you willow what's what is the thing that you are a huge fan of that goes way back in time <gasps> oh my god there it is. yeah except for mine's not nerdy enough so you. um yeah <clears throat> I can think of one, I can think of one that connects to what you're talking about, but like the one that actually I'm thinking of is that I have a huge have a huge thing for um uh the Please tutor. finish that sentence. I have a huge <laughs> thing I have, the, I have a huge thing for the Tudor family, like the Tudor saga. Oh. So like I T U D O R. Yeah. So I have a huge thing for it. I've done a ton of studying it and I build cost. I I build Elizabethan costumes and Renaissance costumes, but I like have a huge love for the Tudor story, like Henry VIII and uh, his daughters and his weird son and uh, (laughs) like his mistresses and all that stuff. So that's the... That's my that's my oldest one that I actually am kind of a nerd about. I like have kind of a nerd about them. I like how you were concerned that the Renaissance Fair and cosplay <laughs> would not be nerdy enough. 
no, no, uh, it's cosplay. I mean, like, like I think that that's a that, that's appropriate nerddom. Like, people are like, "Oh, you're a nerd. You go to the you go to the Renaissance Fair," and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, no, I go to every Renaissance Fair, and I build costumes that cost hundreds of dollars and fifty to eighty hours to make. Like, I am deeply invested in them, and also." I am invested in the history of the Tudor family. Like yeah. I'm invested in that history. Uh, so yeah, I'm like really invested in the history of the Tudor family and also the middle ages. And like, I'm, I really just like the history of it. I think it's really, really cool. And I could probably geek out about like the black plague and uh, like, uh, like just the Tudors, uh, the the succession story and all of the, stuff i don't know it's boring to everybody else <laughs> you know this means that you're probably gonna have to commit to creating a photo album on the website that has a display of all your costumes now that you've talked oh, about oh yeah you're here uh yeah so here's the problem guys so i love building costumes but i don't take pictures yeah, that is a problem because pictures don't <laughs> yeah. happen. Anyway. I don't take pictures. <laughs> so the, the Tudor family came to power uh, as a result of the War of the Roses, the yes. Civil War yeah. from House Plantagenet. And the reason that I know this is the school that I went to when uh, we were kids uh, was uh, the York School. And uh, it was the War of the Roses was Lancaster versus York, the White mm -hmm. Rose of York and the Red Rose of Lancaster. And that was where their symbols. And there were rose bushes all over the uh, York campus. And I remember the White Rose of York. I took a picture of it for my uh, um, yearbook. Uh, oh. And uh, but anyway, uh, a lot of the tropes that we get these days um is the idea of finding a lookalike and then promoting them as an imposter uh you know this is the this is the heir to the lost line that's a real thing that happened while the Tudors were in power and they were trying the remnants of uh in, th in this case it was Lancaster put forth an imposter claiming mm. that he was Edward Lancaster the rightful heir to the throne and so these things that we're, we see pop up these tropes are actually based on real historical mm. things that happened uh and the uh, the War of the Roses the reason that the Tudors came to power is that in the course of the Civil War they wiped out all the males of the line and so there to, really to wasn't end a the line yes yeah. and so the, in, the a, tutors, in a patrilineal it, society yeah yeah and so that's how the tutors kind of came to power and uh, anyway i just find it interesting that when you look into the history of that you find so many stories that have been built on the same concepts and now we discover yeah. that matai is also a nerd for the tutors <laughs> <laughs> well i mean i think there's a reason why hbo picked picked them to build their massive you know pre uh western whatever what you know what i'm talking about yeah westeros like it's it's it, the the tutors is kind of this is the real deal and then they they fictionalize it obviously and sensationalize it and sexualize it so those things happen but the tutors was is phenomenally interesting um the relationship between you know Catherine uh and um Elizabeth and Mary Elizabeth and Mary and um all of the different wives and um it's so late that my brain is dying but the, that <laughs> I love 
like my favorite story, my really my favorite story is the story of Mary, um, who became Bloody Mary eventually. But oh. um, she she was so pressured to have a child, and um, and you you guys probably don't know this story, but she was pressured to have a child because there was no um, there's no heir, and she was the only Catholic, right? She was the Catholic daughter. She was the one who's supposed to take over and Catholicize England again and make it all right. And so she kept trying to have babies, and um, she couldn't. She couldn't have children, and um, eventually she got pregnant, and she was pregnant, uh, and everybody was really excited. And she was pregnant for nine months. Everyone was so excited. The baby's going to come. And she was pregnant for 10 months. And everyone was like, wow, that baby's taking a long time. And she was pregnant for 11 months. <laughs> months. And then everybody just stopped talking about it. And that's what happened. And there was no baby. There was no heir. And that the just and just everybody stopped talking about it. Because if you talked about it, you'd get massive trouble and get your head cut off. So yeah, it that's was a great a very... way to get people not to talk about things. Yeah, it's just, that's, you know, that's how you did it. Them. So anyway, okay, I'll stop talking about it. But I like it. Okay, I'm, I'm done oh. now. It makes me wonder if, if that's where the expression don't chop my head off comes from. Like when oh you say gosh. something that someone doesn't like. Yeah, hmm. I, I I would Don't not be surprised, off. actually. You know, in addition to being a video game nerd and in, you know, being a Star Wars nerd and things like that, I'm also a film nerd. And my my favorite, like, nerdity of obscurity that goes back the farthest is, or the furthest, excuse me, is silent movie actor Buster Keaton. Buster Keaton, uh, yeah. I was I was 19 years old, 18 years old. I was 18 years old, about to turn 19. I was home after a day of work. It was I, I was always a night owl. I was always staying. You know, I was 18. I was I was post high school, and I was, you know, uh, falling asleep at three in the morning and waking up at one in the afternoon, kind of thing, right? Like it's. It was stupid. Living anyway, the dream. Living the dream. Living the dream. Uh, not on my own. Uh, in my family's home. So, you know, that's something. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, and so my, my ritual was go to bed, uh, get all tucked in, and then turn the TV on because there was a TV in my room. And watch whatever comes on until I get so bored I go to sleep. It, it, it's the old Doom Scroll. It's the original Doom Scrolling. And but as we mentioned in our poltergeist uh, conversation, not so late that the uh, national anthem came on and the signal went out to static. Yeah, because that would be a no, no. The moment the TV goes to static, you're a goner. Yeah. Uh, so I, I turned on I think it was I think it was like uh, Turner Movie Classics. It was TMC. And I was I was just kind of hopping around and I was this was at the very beginning of sort of like my film journey. And there was this black and white movie on and I was not such a heathen that I couldn't appreciate like the origins of media and things like that, at least not at that time. And here's this guy with this pork pie hat and he's, he's got this absolutely like depression era stone face. That's actually his name. His nickname is stone face. Um, he has this very sort of like, it, it's such a bland expression yet it emotes so much. Uh, and he is this grand physical comedian. I saw this episode, the, the, the thing that I saw that really got me, like I was immediately sucked in. I was like, oh my gosh, how are they doing this? Because I was really into how films were made. And 
that he I, he I believe it was the adventures of young Sherlock Jr. or something like that. And it's about a projectionist who falls asleep at, at the can at the projector and he leaves his body d double exposure, which was very rare at that time. And he walks down the stairs, the aisles of the theater and where they had been playing this movie, he steps onto it as though it were a stage with forced perspective angles. Like it, it wasn't just a screen. It was actually a three dimensional set, even though it looked like a, like a flat screen. And he walks into this story and then, and then, this whole like crime story unfolds, but in a very comedic way, the best thing I saw him do was he found the criminals who had stolen some money, you no know, big bags with a dollar sign on it. And they're inside of this, of this, um, speakeasy like building that is this dilapidated multi-story building. And he gets up there, he finds that they're in there and they do this thing where they like cut away well, they, they didn't do that yet. He he discovers that they're in there and he he figures out what they're doing. And he's like, OK, he forms a plan. It's a silent movie, so there's no speaking. There's just, you know, calliope music and stuff like that. He he goes and he gets these two drum heads, like big bass drum heads, and he opens them up like a clamshell. And then on one side, he takes this dress and it, it was like this weird. It was this weird head to toe outfit. It was like it was like a hat and a wig and a dress all in one thing and he lays it in these drum heads in a very particular way closes it up goes up to the window of the bad guy's room and places it in the window uh, they had the curtains drawn so they didn't see him do this then they physically cut away they, they, they do some movie magic where they fade away the side of the building so you can see inside and buster keaton young sherlock walks in amongst these uh, thugs who are like talking about their latest heist and they're like boasting about their treasure and stuff and he just like walks in among them as they typically do in comedic silent movies just walks in kind of looks at stuff and then he like looks at each of them and kind of does like a little quick nod and they kind of acknowledge him for a second look at their money and then they stop and then they turn to look at him and now they recognize oh this is not the th this isn't one of our gang and then he like quickly grabs the bags of money runs to the window, dives head first. The thing about Buster Keaton is he's a phenomenal physical comedian. He was brought up in vaudeville doing physical things. He dives head first through the window, through those drum heads, tucks and rolls, stands up, and he's fully wearing that dress outfit like a, like an old lady. And he just like saunters away as a woman. That's and the, awesome. The bad guys come running outside and they can't find him. He's just vanished. And he, the thing about Buster Keaton is he did all these physical things for real in one take on his own. And he's That's crazy. phenomenal. You phenomenal. know, there's this famous black and white movie clip of a, and, and is this Buster Keaton? It was where a, there's this barn and this guy uh -huh. is standing in front of it and the whole wall of the barn falls oh, yeah. down yes. and he's standing in the one spot where there's a window and it just yeah. falls around him. That was Buster Keaton, wasn't it? Fast story yeah. about that. Fast story about that. He that was Buster Keaton. He's in this ghost town. A hurricane is coming through, and he and he's the last person to know, so he doesn't know why there's nobody around. He walks out into the middle of the road. He's scratching his head. The wind is blowing, and then the face of that house comes down, and it's a real house face that they cut away and they dropped. But they but behind the scenes, they measured it out. They made sure because this window is only so big, and he literally has a clearance of about. About an inch and a half, two inches on either side, on all sides, his head and his shoulders, to make this thing work. If this goes wrong, he will be seriously injured or worse. Like it's a guarantee he will be injured or killed. Yeah. Uh, 
so so they measured it out and they took a giant brass nail like 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 think huge like almost railroad spike and they drive it into the dirt road right where his right where he's supposed to stand it's his mark so then he gets he he gets out of frame they they set everything up and they call action well he's in the middle of a hurricane so they turn on the rain machine and they turn on the wind machine and so they're blowing water at high speeds on a dirt road and he walks out does his acting thing he can't find the nail he doesn't oh. know where it is but every shot in a silent movie is extremely expensive at a time where there was no money to do that sort of thing so he guessed he just, <laughs> he just guessed and he went with it and he was a little more to one side than the other but he still cleared the window in one shot and it's one oh of my the, gosh. it's one of the most copied and reproduced shots of all cinematic history. Wow. That's crazy, man. So yes, in case you couldn't tell, I'm a nerd for Buster Keaton. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, that was some great nerdities of obscurity, but that's obviously not the entire stable of odds and ends that we could have possibly talked about. And there are tons of nerdosities out there that we don't know anything about, and we would love to hear about them. If you have a nerdity of obscurity that you would like to share with us, please go over to DungeonCrawlersRadio.com, shoot us an email at DungeonCrawlersRadio at gmail.com, or join our Discord server and talk to us there, because we would love to hear more about your obscure nerdy world. And you know, from the conversation we've had tonight... We did not coordinate this ahead of time before the show, but yeah. everything that we talked about, your fellow nerds, at least us, were just like, oh, yeah, that is so awesome. I'm so glad that you like that. So I think that when you find your your tribe uh, that you can don't be afraid to bring out your uh, your nerdity and uh, and and share it, because you'll find that there are a lot more like minded souls out there than you think. Absolutely. In fact, it is that time where we say our goodbyes. And Matthew, what is it that you always say? Let your geek flag fly. So say we all. And I just say, uh, what up, weirdies? Stay strong. <laughs> I loved when you said, uh, what was it? Stay, stay fresh, fresh cheese, bags. cheese bags. Yeah, stay fresh cheese bags is my all-time favorite. And I think that should just stay be your outro every bags. time. And you know what? Whether any of these nerdities of obscurity were on your radar or not, always remember to be epic and don't suck. Remember, the force will be with you always. 